Play Ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It's a Friday edition of the podcast. Happy Friday to everybody out there. So I have a wonderful guest today, someone I crossed paths with a few years back when I was officiating high school basketball. She was a a high school basketball official herself, was very good, excelled on the court, uh, pursued it for quite a while, was uh, far better than I ever was at high school basketball officiating, Uh, but she's gone on to bigger and better things. She's still a big, big sports fan. She'll talk about that today. Uh, We're going to talk about what uh, exactly she is involved in in her career. Uh, She's also a fellow podcaster, has had a a very successful podcast recently, and she's starting up another one that we'll talk about here. Uh, We're going to be joined today by Katrina Gazarian, again, a former basketball official. That's where uh, I met her, and I haven't talked with her in a long time. Uh, A little bio about uh, Katrina here. She is the CEO of Game Day HR, a highly effective and human-centric HR services company specializing in small to mid-sized businesses with clients across industries such as professional sports, motion pictures, manufacturing, e-commerce, and professional services, to name a few. The mission is all the same, which is to create cultures that win. Katrina also invests and advises clients through fundraisers, acquisitions, and exits. Uh, in uh, in let's see here, uh, for in less than uh, she's been doing that about six years. And uh, for fun, Katrina loves to spend time with family and friends, travel, read, host the HR Sucks podcast, and is an avid basketball fan. She's starting up a new podcast here soon as well called Values and Vino, talking about, of course, values and uh, and some wine for fun. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's burn around the show. Uh, here, it is my privilege to be joined today by uh, Miss Katrina Gazarian. Okay, today I'm joined by Katrina Gazarian, CEO of the HR firm. I'll let her tell you all about that. Katrina, it's been a long time. Good to see you. I know it has been. I haven't been officiating for about five years, so it's been really? at least five years. Wow, wow! I want to say it's been similar, uh, similar for me there. I even wore my mm-hmm. dug out my Foothill Sisters basketball shirt because it's been such a long time. But you and I, Katrina, met uh, while working basketball, officiating basketball. I was always a three sport guy. You know, basketball was just kind of something on the side I did. But uh, you were someone who was very, very passionate about basketball fishing at least that's what I remember so uh do you miss it at all these uh, five years that's gone by yeah I mean I miss some parts of it the thing I loved about officiating is it was really up to us to maintain the integrity of the game um and I always just believed in like you know fair competition and so officiating to me really was an opportunity for me to be the gatekeeper of, you know, the rules of the game. And I miss, I miss that part, like the part where you um, get to educate, you know, the players on the floor or even the coaches. Um, I miss being a part of the game 
to a certain extent, but there are some parts I really don't miss, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I, I totally know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it's not all, not all fairy tale ending there and officiating. Uh, I did Mm -hmm. it a long time and I'll, I'll say this and you're a very, you know, business professional now and, and very successful in everything you're doing. I, I think that it would be good for a lot of people to experience being an official in a sport. I think it would help them grow. It would shape kind of their outlook on things a little bit better and prepare them really for anything they eventually pursued in life. hundred percent. Um, it was so funny because years ago I got asked a question. I wish I could remember who asked me this question, but it was like, how are you so comfortable with Um, or like, how do you have such a thick skin? And I'm like officiating, um, (laughs) like when you're like, when you're the most hated person, sometimes not all the time, but you know, when you're the most hated person on the court, um, you really learn how to have a thick skin. I mean, I had to learn, I would say my first year, I was such a hothead, um, as a rookie, because I just was not used to people talking to me that way. And, um, I got in a huge confrontation, I believe it was at San Dimas high school. It was their summer league, their boys varsity summer league. Um, it was my first year or second year. I can't remember, but you know, they were like, I, the coach at the time, um, you know, wasn't behaving, I would say professionally. And so I had to come across court and tee them up. And, um, my partners that on that game, weren't really supportive of what was happening. And, and, you know, as you probably know, usually the rule is like, if one official does the first, you know, sticks the coach the first time or the player, typically another official, it just for optics looks better if they take the second one. Yeah. Um, that wasn't happening with this crew. (laughs) And so I like, I had to come across court and, and stick them a second time. Um, and so there was just like a parent in the stands who like a mom or, uh, you know, I don't know who she was to be honest. And she was just yelling at me and I had just had it. I was, I was really bothered by the coach and, and the players were actually fine. Um, and my partners, and I just remember she just kept barking at me and I like pulled off my uniform and I told her like, when your fat ass can fit into this Jersey and run up and down the court, I don't want to hear it. And I just like, that was, and then, and I felt really bad for doing that, to be honest. Like I was it was not a proud moment for me. Um, it was more of an eye opener of like, why would I like for me to say that to them means I don't really respect like where their advice is coming from anyway. So why would I let somebody um, have such an emotional, like, reaction on you know what I mean like why would I give someone that kind of an emotional reaction but I mean it's funny to look back at now but I was pissed (laughs) of course and do you remember how old you were at the time I mean I was an adult oh yeah of course I can't remember if if I had my daughter or not I mean 25 26 okay so yeah yeah mid-20s I mean uh you know we're adults at that time we're still kind of uh, learning that, okay, people aren't nice, necessarily nice out there. And, and they're going to yell at you just for wearing the stripes. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you said it was your first kind of your first year early on, right? It was, yeah. You know, I did, I did my rookie year. I had Katie, so I missed a lot of the second season. It might've been like my first summer, you know what okay. I mean? Like my, my first summer, um, I, I went to camps that 
that summer and I got hired actually into college that first summer that I did a camp tour. So it was then, which means um, because I was so active in going to camps, um, you know, our unit, I think they felt comfortable putting me on the boys varsity games, which you don't typically see for a second year ref. Um, you know, you don't usually get those bigger varsity games. Um, but they put me there and I was like, shouldn't have put me there (laughs) 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 because I was just having such a, a, like difficult, it was a challenging time for me. Well, I'll say this about officiating, especially basketball is, um, you can do everything you're supposed to do. You know, you can, the uniform looks good, the yawn, you, that you carry yourself the right way, you're crisp and everything. But at the end of the day, it's a ball bouncing around there. You don't officiate the game on paper. It's reacting and there's emotions. And so, yeah, some people maybe are not quite ready for what they're getting into. And some people are ready and don't know it. So it's a weird dynamic, I think, in officiating specifically when you're starting out your first few years, even if you're one of the top officials who, who really has risen through the ranks, uh, you're tested early and often, I think. Absolutely. And, um, I definitely got better at honing that craft and being, being able to approach uh, situations and diffuse them without coming at it, like at an emotional level eight. Um, I would say, I mean, there, there are some people who'd criticize the way I have, I managed my games and, <laughs> and there are some people who felt like I did a really great job coming out of the gate. I mean, I definitely had the look, um, you know, I was, I was, I was taller, I was lean and, um, I knew basketball and, you know, I think that's how I got recruited in the first place was because I looked like I looked the part first, <laughs> um, you know, I'm very vocal and I have a, a, an enforcing voice, um, at times, which has come very handy in parenting, by the way. Um, and so I, I definitely came out of the gate as an official, very strong. Um, but I learned how to reason. I think when you stop being insecure as an official, um, and you, and you see that a coach or a player is having an emotional reaction, the solution is not to be more emotional. The solution is to you know, come beneath them emotionally and reason with them or admit that you missed the call or that you weren't in the right position. So that was first year. I, over the years, I got a lot, I have improved significantly in being able to communicate with, you know, the people of the game. Yeah, no, I, it's again, back to the kind of original point. I think the lessons you learn about yourself, even in officiating, you learn how to manage people, how to have some people skills and just how to little things like having to be able to have a conversation with another person. Like there are officials out there. They don't look a coach in the eye. They're timid. They, they barely talk. It's like, wait a minute. Okay. Let's work on look. It's just, an, it's a, it's another person. It's another human being. Just say what you need to say. If you got to be a little more authoritative, fine. But you know, it's just stuff, things like that, that I think you, you develop in officiating that I wish more people would at least go try it. You wouldn't have to do it long to know you probably don't like it, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's good experience for, for everyone. How, how far did your, uh, did you go in college? Did you work in college for a few years? Yeah, I believe I, I worked three conferences, three college conferences. Um, most of like the SoCal, like the, the areas, conferences around us. Yeah. I was definitely working in terms of high school. I got to 
um, like the playoffs, you know, yeah. quarterfinals or, or semifinals. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I, I definitely could have gone further had I stayed or, or, you know, um, stayed more dedicated to it, but there was, I think for me, I had a young daughter, I was working full time. I was managing this schedule. And then as I don't know if you know, but like her dad also is an official. And so it just got really hard for all of us to try to balance that schedule. And I had made the decision to step down, um, in 2015, I think mm-hmm. it was. Interesting. Well, I, I like talking to, uh, you know, current officials, former officials, uh, there are a lot of my peers and, and just people that have gone on to do a lot of other things that are, that are great. Uh, there's some great people you come across in officiating at all levels. So, uh, well, thanks for sharing those times, uh, with me there in, in basketball. So you, you walk away in 2015 and did you, did you know right, right away what you kind of wanted to go into or, or kind of what were you doing at the time? You just mentioned you were working. Was it kind of affiliated now with what you eventually got into? Yes, eventually. Um, you know, I left officiating also because there was definitely a values conflict. You know, mm. the, the values that I hold dear to me in my life um, were not the values that the refereeing or officiating community held. Um, from a larger standpoint, of course, there are amazing people and amazing officials um, who are good people. Um, but the but the industry as a whole, I had a huge problem with. I mean, like just to give you an example, and I'm I don't know if things have changed since then or not. But you know, as a female, like we were told not to look as like female, <laughs> and you know, what? it would yeah, like we we couldn't wear nail polish. We had when we went to camps. We had to wear like those long shorts, like Bermuda shorts, you know, and it, it like, it just seemed, I, you know, like they didn't want us in order for us to be successful as women, we had to come off more masculine, which I'm like, girl, I already have masculine tendencies, but I can't look like one, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so there was just some conflict there. Um, then there was like a situation where there was a controversy of like a picture of me holding my daughter while I was like standing on a court that I was refereeing like an alumni game from a school that I had coached in the past. Like I didn't get paid for it or anything. It was the day after Christmas and it just got like somebody circulated that picture. And I just felt like I wasn't being protected Um, by the higher ups, I felt like there were, there were people trying to sabotage, um, my career, um, honestly. And I just didn't feel like the money, as you probably know, was worth all of that. Yeah. Um, so that's really like a huge reason why I decided to step away. And I started working in recruiting almost immediately after. So I started working for a third party firm. Um, that, you know, found like direct hire or temp placements for organizations looking to hire. Um, Really loved that. I I think taking my experience from coaching and officiating and understanding like how personalities work together was very helpful in being successful in that position. Um, A client of mine ended up coaching me you know, they were like, you can make more money, you can work less hours, just recruiting for our portfolio of companies, um, and also managing one of the offices that they had. And so I took it. um, And 
I did that for a while and it was really fun. And I got to do a lot of cool things that I learned a lot on the human resources side. And then I just realized that it was something I wanted to do on my own. I wanted to work with different businesses, learn about different industries of all sizes and help them build out the HR like infrastructure and prepare them for growth and recruiting. And, and that's ultimately what game day HR ended up being. Wow. Uh, lots to unpack there. First of all, in the officiating thing, yes, that is one thing I will echo is, is there are, there are some haters out there and, and it gets a little cutthroat at times where people want to move up the ladder or whatever. And so, yeah, th- th- there is a lot of that, that I just, I, I echo your sentiment there. <laughs> just mean like mm-hmm. I, I needed to step away from this. I can't deal. I can't deal with, uh, you know, teenage kid type drama <laughs> at times. So anyway, uh, well, well, that's cool that you, you found this, this passion really. And I, and I, and that you dove into this. And I mentioned that, um, you were the CEO of this, this HR company and you've, you have a podcast called, uh, HR, HR sucks. I believe, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what exactly was that? When did that come about? It was like a, a te- was it, was it a, a 10 part series or something? No, HR sucks was, um, it was on the docket to get at, to do an HR podcast at some point. I think when I evaluated where my skill set was, it was definitely in communicating verbally um, and getting people to kind of buy in to these like philosophies and trying to get people to understand things in a different way than they were taught. And so the podcast was an outlet for me to have these conversations on a larger scale than what was at the time my portfolio of companies that I was working with. Um, So I had been tabling it and tabling it. And then the pandemic hit. Um, I was bored. I didn't, you know, I wasn't traveling anymore. I wasn't driving to see clients anymore. And I had this extra time. Um, I really wanted to use that time for something positive while everybody was like drinking more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually really grounded myself in exercising and uh, making these little videos. It kind of started um, as these little videos called HR quickies. And they're really just these casual, um, like not high like production quality video. It's literally my iPhone. My hair is like a disaster or whatever. It's just like how I looked every day. And I just created these little fun videos and people loved them. It was just a different way to talk about HR um, than historically it had been very sterile to to talk about HR um, or like hoity-toity. And so this was a way to make fun of HR in a way, or like make fun of like executives and some of the silly decisions that they make and um, they get pulled in different directions. So I started doing that. And then the podcast um, was the evolution of those videos. And so the HR Sucks podcast, we did about 30 episodes in the first season. Um, we had about 2 million impressions. Um, it was great. It was really fun. I had a great time doing it. Um, probably by the end, I was a little burned out on, on like the editing, like the back end of the stuff. Cause I didn't know, you know, I didn't have like a marketing team. I had a production assistant, but I didn't have a team doing all the clips and, you know, making all the graphics and things like that. Actually, I did have someone making the graphics. I lied, but I had to like replay it and find out where to clip and where the, where to cut like the time frame. So 
I was pretty burned out at that point. Um, I believe I wrapped the first season earlier this year. And so I've been on hiatus since then, but I'm coming back next week. You're coming back and it's not uh, season two. Is it, is it a new, or is it the new podcast that I saw you plan on launching? It's the new podcast. So the HR sucks podcast will not continue. The conversations will have some similarities though. I think over the last couple of years doing my own personal development work and then working with these organizations, there's so much more that needs to happen before HR takes place. I mean, I always think of the meme of the glacier and you can only see like what the the part of the glacier that's above the ice, but there's just whole part of the glacier that's below the water. And I think that part that's below the water, uh, that part of the glacier are the values. And so it's really hard to create this culture, like this amazing company culture if an organization or even the people in the organization haven't established their values and knowing what those values mean, defining them, measuring against them, you know, creating a decision-making filter for like using those. And so the values in Vino podcast is going to dive a lot deeper into those processes, not just professionally in an organization, but personally as well. Very cool. And uh, I did notice, you know, you, you threw in a little vino in there with the values, a little, little, uh, little wine. So uh, I got to ask you, what are your types of favorite wine uh, that you like to, are you just stick to one kind of brand or type, or do you kind of like to mix it up? No, I definitely mix it up. I, I am a red wine drinker. I've tried white wine and I've also <laughs> tried rosé. Um, they're just not my jam. I don't really, you know, even, you know, people tell me like, well, you got to drink it in the daytime. In the daytime, I'm going to have something else, you know, I'm going to have like a mojito or (laughs) like a tequila and water. I don't know, but I can't, can't get on board with white wine, Um, but red wine. Definitely. I, I like the older, you know, like more than three years old. um, I feel is my jam at least. Nice. Um, and there's some, you know, I really, I love Malbec. I love um, Cab Sobs or, or Cab Francs. It really just depends on the vineyard and, and the area that it was made and the year it was made. So um, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm too picky, but like, there's definitely a lot of types that I would drink. Um, but I would say if I am picky or peculiar, it's the year that the bottle was made. Ah, okay. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm still learning all these things too. So good, good stuff. Good stuff there. Uh, how do you plan with this podcast? How do you, how do you plan on blending those two? Is it just basically talking about company values while having, while having a glass of wine, or is it, is there some other format and way you're going to, what's kind of the, the natural, um, I don't know, structure of the podcast that you're planning to do? Yeah, it's not really company values. It's, it's, it's personal values. I do. I believe that personal values and company values are the same. And I think when we try to differentiate from the two is where we get into some trouble. I don't, you know, if integrity is a value of mine, I don't walk out of like the office throwing my integrity hat off. Mm -hmm. It's like who I am as a person. Right. And you know, I, I, the podcast is, is really diving into more than just company and business. It's, you know, I'm going to have an episode with my best friends on there. Um, my best 
you know, girlfriends. And we're going to talk about the types of things that we had to learn as women and the mistakes that we've made not following our values or not knowing what our values were and how we get stuck in certain situations um, when we were younger or even still today. So it's not really just organization. It's, it's personal too, um, with, you know, and friendship and romance and how, our, how we are as consumers and how we optimize our, our consumerism using our values, like which, you know, in a culture where we're, we're trying to be sold something like every minute of every day, what is our decision-making process on like on buying something or not? You know, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I was just sharing this yesterday. Um, I've been, I've been wanting to try this new um, skin system. It's called Curology. And it's, it's like you answer these questions and it gives you like a, you know, a wash and all of these things that are very customized to your face and your goals for your skin. I've been wanting to try it for months, but I, because, you know, my values are doing things with intention. Um, I told myself I was not going to do it until I had used up all of the other things that I had. And so I finally finished <laughs> like all the face washes I had and all the moisturizers I had. And so now I can go and purchase this new thing because that's a value of mine is, you know, sustainability and intention. I don't want to accumulate this stuff like in my home and just going from one thing to the next, because Instagram told me to try it out, you know? And so, (laughs) so it's, you know, values, it's so much more than just, um, company. It's like how, excuse me, it's like how we act every day and how we're making decisions day to day all over, like every aspect of our life. Well, well, let me, that sounds like an interesting uh, podcast, little conversations. Yeah. A little more broad. It's not just people in that industry. Uh, let me ask you, cause you mentioned it there about like social media. W- what are your thoughts on social media? This to me, it's like, it's not real life always. It's like people want to promote kind of who they are and, and that can be a good thing. But I think sometimes you have this like false self-promotion or like, uh, you know, maybe doing things on social media that employers, uh, if they see somewhere down, you know, they'd be like, ah, I don't know about this person. So what are your general thoughts on just uh, social media, I guess? It really depends on what your goal is for using social media. And I think that's important to define first. So if your goal is just to share pictures of your family and your friends and things like that, then you obviously use it to that extent. Um, if your goal is to use it for business purposes, you use it to that extent. It just really depends on what your goals are in using it. Personally, um, earlier this year, I just decided that I didn't want to contribute to this culture of like only highlighting my life and look at, look at me and look at my amazing life and look how much money I make and look at my nice things. And I just, I didn't want to contribute to that. Not that those things aren't true. Not that I don't have a great life, um, but I just didn't want to contribute to this culture of only that um, and only talking about all of the good things that life is and not really talking about some of the challenges that I'm having. And so for me personally, I chose not to put 
pictures of personal people, like people who are in my life personally. And so I went in and I actually took down all the pictures of my daughter. And then it kind of got like weird about, you know, um, I have, I don't have a huge following, um, but the podcast definitely helped increase that following and it's a public page. And I just like got weird because I was looking at my stories and there's just like a lot of people that consistently look at my stories and I'm, and I'm grateful that they care so much about my life, but also it kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. I <laughs> that I was like, I don't know any of these people, you know? And so <laughs> I just, I just chose, you know, I started putting, I started really thinking about it and it was like, you, if I, based off of what I had had on my page, it's like, you, you would know what my daughter's date of birth is. You would know her mom's name, her dad's name like where she goes to school and you know, her date of birth. Cause we're like putting birthday shout outs. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that I was giving so much access to information that these, a lot of people were not giving me permission to do. My daughter is not old enough to consent whether I can share that in her information on there. And so I really started asking myself these, but even my dad, who he doesn't post anything on his Instagram and I'm wishing him a happy, happy 60th birthday. And now people know his date of birth and his name. And, and so I removed all of that from my page. Um, and then that was because of a respect, like a value of respect is I just wanted to respect other people's information. And, you know, I don't want my daughter to be an adult and be like, shit, mom, like all this stuff about me is on the internet. Yeah. And I have no control over it. No, it's, it's, it's amazing really what social media has developed into. Sure. It's a great way to stay in touch with people and uh, maybe promote, uh, you know, business or a podcast or whatever. But at the same time, I, I truly believe it has become almost this addiction in society. Uh, you know, there's just putting out information, as you mentioned that it's like, wait, we never did this before. And, and now we are, we're, we're forwarding out information, making it easy for, for people to know things that they don't necessarily need to know. Um, so it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. I find it so interesting that I I try to be reserved. And what's been hard for me, Katrina doing a podcast is like to put myself out there more because it's not in my nature. I don't, I don't like going on there all the time, but, but I've been more active just because I'm trying to promote the the show and, and just show people links and and include people. But at the same time, yeah, you got to be careful kind of with the whole get the whole trap. I'll say, um, but it sounds like, uh, you, you've made some good decisions, you know, and I don't knock anybody who does those things. I, I think everybody has their own level of tolerances, but again, it, for me, it was, what did I want? What do I want to accomplish mm. with social media? And I really like making people laugh. Um, and so if I can find ways to do that, I'll definitely do that. I really enjoy, um, sharing stories about things that I've had to overcome, um, as a person. And I think for me, ultimately the goal with, you know, my company has always been to create happier workplaces. I think happier workplaces create happier people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with that company and then the podcast, I think, I feel just, if people could connect to their own authenticity, um, if people can really you know, find themselves within themselves, I think that's where happiness lies. And so I really try to use my social media for that of being intentional with what you're doing day to day and the thoughts that you're having, how you're treating other people, 
um, having an awareness of how, what you're doing day to day. And, and that's what I use my platform for. And I don't, I don't, in order to do that, I don't need to share a lot about me as a mother mm. or, you know, me as a girlfriend or me. I don't, I don't need to do that because I don't think happiness is external. I don't think you have kids and you're happy. I don't think you fall in love and you're just happy. I think happiness is inside. And so I just don't have to do those things to, for my mission, but other people feel like they do. And I have respect for them too. Yeah. Yeah. To each his own for sure. Um, uh, I wanted to get in here about your, um, some of your work. It says here you've worked with, uh, you've had clients in professional sports, uh, motion picture industry. Is there anything you could share with us about uh, working? At, Cause I'm always, I'm a huge sports fan, of course. So that always jumps off the page to me and kind of what exact services do you provide to, to those industries? Yeah. The funny thing is that no matter what industry you're in or how recognizable your brand is or how big of a company you are, they all have the same problems. <laughs> so <laughs> they're just either on bigger or smaller scale. Um, but for motion picture or per, it's the same, it's really a culture. And how do we, it, I think the nuance in professional sports is, how do you create a winning culture when the team on the stage is like losing? You know what I mean? And because yeah. not, not every professional sports team is going to be a champion that year. How do you keep everybody engaged in the work they're doing when they're watching the TV and their team is losing? And so that's like their conundrum, which was very unique to a lot of other industries. Um, and so it really goes back to connecting everybody to the mission of the organization, not necessarily winning a championship because that that's every year that stays the same, no matter what, but how do we want as an organization, whether we're in sports or we're a production company, how do we want people to feel how, like, what is our legacy as a sports team? What is our legacy as a production company? And it goes much further than winning a championship it's how how did we how did we create championship people across all of the departments whether you're on the field on the court you're in the accounting department you're in the sales department like how do we create this championship culture year after year after year after year and so that's what we help we really go in we benchmark the data that they have. So we ask employees how they're, how they're feeling. Basically it's a survey that we launch. Um, and, and there's different areas that we cover from, you know, retention to how they feel about leadership to how they feel about themselves. Um, how do they feel about comp and benefits and what types of things would they like to see? What types of things are they seeing, but don't really care much about. So we do this, this huge climate survey launch we take all that data, we calculate, you know, which things are considered attractors and which things are considered detractors. Um, and we benchmark it. So we determine what the engagement rate is in that organization. We put initiatives around that engagement. Um, and then we retest it after six months um, to see if the engagement has increased based off of those initiatives. And throughout the entire time, the, the entire company knows what the results of that survey was, like where the strengths were, where the areas of improvement was. So there's 
very, there's radical transparency at all levels, you know, from top trickling down to entry level. And that's essentially what we, we do with almost every business that we work with. But do you ever run into people or groups? I mean, when you work with, you have this positive vibe, right? And so for a lot of people, some of some people, some some people out there, I know I've I've I like analogies. I like a, a, a certain attitude towards things. But do you ever run into people uh, that are just like, okay, you, you, these are just little fancy catchphrases. They don't really mean anything. I mean, that are not as receptive, I guess, to what you guys provide. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, and and all I could do is just show them data, right? I, I'm not here to tell them here's what we need to do because I feel like this is what should be done. Here's what we need to do because the data says that this is what we should be doing. And so if they can't get on board after seeing it in plain sight, we we have a values misalignment. Like what they're trying to accomplish is like, they may, they may, it may sound nice to them. Like, yeah, we want to have a great culture, but maybe they don't even know what that means. Maybe to them, a great culture is just, you know, really high profit margins. Um, and so they have to go back and define what it is a great culture means. And, you know, at this point, I would say I struggled more at the beginning where they were like, yeah, we want to do all these things and come in and do them. And then we would start doing them. And then it just became not a priority for them. And so we're just waiting around like month after month. And so now I, we collect 50% of the project fee upfront because it's like, <laughs> You already paid for it. You might as well do it. And this is how we know you're serious about it. Sure. Um, And so I've had to make adjustments over the years and figuring that out. I think when you first start a business, you're like, I'll take anything. Yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll do it, you know? Um, And then as you start to mature and you see like what works and what doesn't work, you become more picky as an organization of who you want to work with. And I'm very grateful that I've hit that stride where I can choose not to work with clients. If I feel like our goals are not aligned, we're not trying to accomplish the same things. And I mean, I definitely, I just let go of a client not that long ago because of that. And, Mm. and I, I try, I do it as respectfully as possible. And, you know, I just tell them it's, we're just, we don't have the same goals. And if, if we are not making an impact on your culture, then we're really not doing anything because, you know, the compliance stuff is easy, you know, hand forms and building out like the recruiting processes, that's easy. And, and there are a ton of HR consultants that can go do that for you. That's just not where our value is as an organization. Our value is like phase two, phase three um, engagement, employee engagement. So not so much like getting them out of survival mode. Like we don't want to get sued. We don't want to get fined or penalized. That's like survival mode. Our next step is growth mode. And so if they're not, if they're still here and we're trying to pull them up and they're not willing to go they're you know, we, we don't need to waste any each other's time at that point. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Clean break, clean break. Why, why keep mm-hmm. it going if it doesn't need to be? Uh, right. One of the things I want to ask you about, you know, this, 2020 was a crazy year. 2021 hasn't been so great either. Um, you know, small businesses have just been hammered, uh, mm-hmm. especially here in California, or I'm not sure if you're in California or not, but um, uh, just been hammered. I mean, restrictions and things. And 
they're doing it's it's been sad to see like restaurants do what they can to stay open right and a lot of them have have not survived um there's we're making a little comeback here things are getting better job there's there weren't jobs for a while now there are there's job openings but we're not seeing at least in my in my eyes we're not seeing people jump at the opportunities to to dive into these jobs and and then now recently there's restrictions on workers i mean take it any direction you want. What, what are your thoughts on the crazy year it's been 18 months or whatever. And the fact that w- work was scarce for a while now it's available and there's still more obstacles for people trying to get back to work. There's so much there. It's such a like pregnated statement. Um, so I think when we go back to 2008 and the, bubble burst, right, is what everybody says. Um, That was in the real estate industry for the most part. And so you saw a lot of white collared workers out of work. Um, And those those people were able to go get jobs because they were overqualified for everything at that point. So it was easy to like pick those people up. This situation, it's like the minimum wage blue collared workers that got hit the hardest. Um, because they're not able to work from home. And so when their facility closes, whether it's a restaurant manufacturing or or whatever industry they're in, if they close, they're not able to work. And so when we started to reopen, uh, a lot of the workers that were in the hospitality industry ended up moving over. A lot of people keep saying it's because of the unemployment benefits. I'm, that does play a part, but also those people have switched industries. Um, a lot of those people in hospitality, they don't want to deal with customers anymore. <laughs> I don't blame and, and so there's like this double-edged sword where, you know, if you go to a restaurant, you see their short staff, which means taking longer to be serviced, taking longer to get your food. You're getting it most, I'm not saying you in particular, but a lot of customers are getting upset because of the wait times. And so then they get aggressive and, and it's just, why would people want to go back to that when they can go to a manufacturing facility and make like protein bars or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not that they're not, it's not that the, there's a labor shortage and generally speaking, it's just those people went somewhere else. And I don't, it, so if you couple that with, you know, these mandates that these businesses have to follow, you know, more recently, they put out that or the administration said that any employer with over, you know, 100 employees have to mandate a vaccine. I just find that to be very inappropriate for small businesses to have to navigate through that. And the reason why I say that is because I work with these businesses every single day and many of their employees to get vaccinated and they have tried to offer bonuses and higher wages, um, you know, paid time off. And these employees feel very strongly about not getting vaccinated. And so when you now have to tell these companies that they have to let those people go in a labor shortage, it's kind of like you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And so I just felt that the mandate that came out, which is why you reached out to me or what (laughs) sparked you to reach out to me because I spoke out about it and I don't typically speak out about things. Going back to social media, 
I only talk about things that I have a lot of knowledge in that I didn't read an article and then all of a sudden know what was going on. It's something that I've worked in day in and day out for many years. I know what businesses have to go through from a people standpoint. And I, I, and I felt qualified at, to speak up about it. And like, for example, the Afghanistan situation, I have some feelings about it, but I'm not an expert in like defense and foreign policy. So I won't publicly speak out about it because I don't know enough. I don't know. I'm not a veteran. I'm not like in the office making those decisions. So I don't speak out about those things, but something I felt very strongly about is small and mid-sized businesses. And I believe that this, if the administration's goal is to get more people vaccinated, this was a terrible plan, psychologically speaking, to have done. No, that's very well said. And, and to your point of, uh, you know, speaking up on certain things and other things, like there's a big difference between talking about opinions. You might have an opinion on something. I have an opinion on something that we don't even know that much about. It's just an opinion. It's, just, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's whatever. But when you feel strongly about something because you've seen firsthand, you have actual experience or data with uh, employers and employees in this regard, that is, you, you are more willing to speak out about it. And uh, I, I feel Katrina, like, what people are missing from this whole thing is that I think people are going to lose their jobs and there, there's probably people out there who are like, well, you, you chose to lose your job or whatever, but that's not going to fix anything. Those jobs are, are now going to be vacant. There's going to be uh, at high positions too. I mean, medical field, police officers, wherever, I mean, any, any line of work. And so I do think it's a bad situation and uh, especially for those of small businesses that are, again, just trying to stay afloat at this, this moment in time. Right. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, there are going to be a lot of companies that will not comply. And so that's, this is where I talk about you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, because if you wanted to comply, you have to let those people go. Those people are going to go find jobs with organizations that are very open about not complying. Right. They're like, find me, blah, blah, blah. We'll do whatever. And so you're damned if you do. And then for those organizations that are like, I just can't do that. I can't for, I can't let people go um, because, you know, they're choosing not to be vaccinated. Um, Then they have, you know, they they're at risk of facing like fines and penalties and things like that. So, you know, I was asked on Instagram, like, well, what do you think the plan, like what would have been a better plan? And Uh, just from like a high level, they probably should have started with like fortune 500 companies just to see like, would it increase vaccinations? Again, yeah, I like that. I'm not, I, I I think a lot, some people misinterpreted my post to say we shouldn't get like that. I was anti-vaccination, even though I clearly stated that I was not anti-vaccination. I got vaccinated what I was saying was if the goal was to increase vaccinations, this was not it. And, and because of that, small and mid-sized businesses would suffer. Why not start with Fortune 500 companies or companies with 500 employees or more? Test it out on them who have the cash flow. They can afford like a labor shortage um, for every, every, you know, all the candidate or all the employees that end up like being let go for not getting vaccinated. They have the resources to bring people who are vaccinated in. Like, why not try it out on them? 
see if there is going to be an increase in vaccinations and then say, look, this plan worked at this level. So maybe we'll bring down the threshold and go from there. Again, it's not, I'm not, I don't, I am not in there like making these decisions, but I just felt like, why, why did they go so low? Like Mm -hmm. in the threshold, why did they go as low as 100 employees? And a lot of people think that that's a lot of employees. Um, But when you look at King Taco that has three locations, that's a hundred employees. Wow. So I don't know about you, but like, if I can't get my carne asada burrito because, (laughs) you know, that person wasn't vaccinated and I was vaccinated, which means like, according to the data that they're putting out, I should be fine. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, it just, it just doesn't, I just didn't think that that was fair. It wasn't Mm. a fair plan. And it, it was, it was, it, all it does is it widens this like wealth gap. Yeah. I, I think uh, people are going to lose their jobs, be out of work. And then businesses, those running the businesses are going to suffer again. Uh, so those are just, that's my take on it. I, I read what you said. I thought it was so well said, uh, you know, not, not a political statement by any means. You were very clear in everything you said. And I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're all going to have to make decisions down the road with our employers, uh, you know, what, uh, what they're going to do, what we're going to do. It's, uh, it's tough for all of us, but, uh, just a crazy time, time we live in. So, uh, Katrina, I know you got to go. I know you're, uh, you're up against the, the time, time frame here, but I really appreciate you coming on here and talking with me about, uh, your line of work and y- your takes there on the, uh, the, the recent mandate. And of course, talking a little bit of basketball as well. Always. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Matt. <laughs> hey, good luck with everything. And guys, check out the Values and Vino podcast that's coming out uh, here in uh, mid-September, right? Yes, yes. And um, you can follow me on Instagram at Kat Gazarian, or you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active, probably more active on LinkedIn than I am on Instagram. Just search my name, Katrina Gazarian. I'm the only one. So, <laughs> So yeah, just be on the lookout for that. Sounds great. Good luck with everything. Great to see you and uh, take care. You too. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Katrina Gazarian, for joining me today on the Get Home Safe podcast. A lot of fun. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit about HR and uh, yeah, CS basketball officials or former basketball officials. We're not so bad. We're just people, just people uh, living our lives and trying to uh, educate the people on the uh the uh, business that we're in now, uh, I don't really have much of a business. I just do this podcast for fun, but, uh, but Katarina, or Katarina, I almost made that mistake before Katrina is doing great things and uh, wish her nothing but the best. Uh, be sure to check out her podcast values and Vino upcoming and follow her on Instagram and see what she's up to. She's always posting some, some pretty good stuff uh, that uh, can motivate you and educate you one way or another. So that will wrap up today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast, rather shorter one today. That's nothing wrong with that. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on Monday for more episodes, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday as always. But guys, until then, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. (laughs) 